0: My guess is that if we uh, were to bring it uh, consciously to mind, uh, most of us would think of hospitality as the cream on the cake of virtues, Uh, something uh, you do, uh, perhaps if you get around to it, or maybe even more self-excusingly, a gift that some have and that others don't. Oh, she is just great at hospitality. I'm 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 more attuned to reading, or something like that. Um, and and since I don't have the gift, uh, that's that's pretty much it. That's that's me done. Um, what What's so interesting is that the perspective of the New Testament is uh, quite different, and it turns out that hospitality is surprisingly central. Uh, there are many places in the New Testament to go, but perhaps the most straightforward and direct is Romans. Uh, chapter 15 7 which simply says welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you to the glory of God this is the kind of character of the Christian community it's always located in the grace of God welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you the welcome God has given to us in Jesus Christ is both here the pattern and the power to welcome others in the same way Uh, very straightforwardly our stance toward one another could be a whole variety of things it could be disinterest it could be acceptance but polite distance it could be sort of vague warmth and friendliness and that's all possible that's how most people relate to most people but the apostles clear no our stance towards one another is to be nothing short of welcome The same no strings attached, not waiting for people to get their act together, don't require people to declutter their lives from mess, welcome. Like God has welcomed us. Or in other words, the welcome of grace. And so the Apostle Paul earlier in his letter instructs us to pursue hospitality of one of the core ways that we let love be genuine. It's interesting, both uh, Paul and Peter and the author of the letter to the Hebrews, pretty much the first or second thing they say when they want to put some flesh on the command to love, what is it to love people? First or second is always extend hospitality. Uh, In fact, it's um, a particularly intense word that the apostle uses in Romans chapter 12. He says, pursue hospitality. Hospitality. Uh, the word here is uh, something like strive after, hunt down um, elsewhere. And mostly, actually, the word is used uh, uh, to mean persecute. Persecute hospitality. Be so intensive in your determination that it's like, well, it's like the Apostle Paul hunting down Christians before he was confronted by the resurrected Jesus. Don't let anything get between you and hospitality. Similarly, the Apostle Peter urges us uh, uh, to maintain constant love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. And then the first thing he says when he adds a little texture to this, he writes, be hospitable to one another without complaining, or without grumbling. The characteristic sin that goes with a pretended hospitality is grumbling and complaining. And Peter says, no, love needs to take the specific form of a hospitality that has no grumbling about it. In other words, there's um, much more to hospitality than the action of opening yourself and your home to others, although that's crucial. It's possible to do those things and at the same time undermine it all by grumbling. But hospitality is as much and perhaps more about an attitude, a stance of heart towards other people as it is a particular set of actions. Uh, Likewise, uh, the author of the letter to the Hebrews takes it up a notch when he includes, as the first aspect of an acceptable worship with reverence and awe that we offer to God is that we let love, mutual love, continue and not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. And, And the author of the Hebrews goes on to say, for by doing that some have entertained angels without knowing it. And what's clear there is that hospitality is not just within the Christian community by any means, but beyond it. In fact, so central to the Christian life is the attitude and activity of hospitality that it's one of the very few listed attributes of leaders. You can, you can be a, a bozo as a Christian leader in all sorts of different ways, according to the New Testament. But to both Timothy and Titus, the apostle writes that one of the core characteristics of overseers is that they must be above reproach, married only once, temperate, sensible, respectable, and hospitable. And of course, in our reading from Matthew's Gospel, we find that Jesus is so bold as to characterize the difference between what he calls the righteous and the unrighteous, those who are connected to the life of God and those who are not, is that they welcome. Not just that they welcome others, but that they insert themselves into the lives of others in care and concern. Now, it's it's, it's very clear, I think, that Hospitality is something that lies right at the heart of Christian discipleship, because it lies right at the heart of Christ. And so we're going to unpack this first habit of community under three points. Uh, you see there the practice of hospitality, the problem with hospitality, and the power for hospitality. So first, then, the practice of hospitality, and um, i start with the definition Uh, hospitality is welcoming strangers into your home without expectation but with possibility. Hospitality is welcoming, welcoming strangers into your home without expectation but with possibility. Let's just unpack that briefly. So firstly then, the essence of understanding hospitality is to understand home. Uh, home is where it is warm and safe and ordered. Uh, Katrina and I were away for a little while recently and our, the heater in our home uh, broke down while we were away, right in midwinter. And so the, the girls who uh, were there, um, our daughters, uh, had no heater. And it was quite uh, distressing to me. Well, not enough to actually do anything about it, but quite, <laughs> quite distressing to me that, it would, that the home would now be a cold place because because homes are meant to be warm. And not just the, the physical warmth is, is one thing, but but more than that, of course, isn't it? It's, it's to do with safety and orderedness. It's where things are comfortable and familiar and personal. It's shelter from the stormy blast of the world out there. Out there it's cold and hard and challenging. At work or shopping or just getting about on the roads without getting blasted in road rage. In here, it's home. Outside, it's draining. In here, it's restoring. Out there, things are rarely ordered the way I would like them to be. I've I've, I've got many thoughts for the present government on how things should be different, but remarkably, they don't seem to ask my opinion. Well, at least not specifically, just sort of one of 20 million. But in here, at home, I can order my space, or we can order our space, the way we like it or at least are happy enough to put up with it out there you're depleted in here you're recharged home is a place of food and nourishment and rest and warmth and as far as possible beauty and music and order now of course it's, it's worth saying that uh, none of us have that home perfectly do we Uh, To some degree, more or less, our homes can also be places of conflict and disappointment and even loneliness and grief. But the very fact that we have that disappointment is testament to the reality that we have a concept of home. We know what home is supposed to be like. We're all striving deeply, yearning to be at home. And so we all, to some extent, Want to protect our home and our being at home. And hospitality is welcoming strangers into your home. It's a risk. It's interesting that the word we have translated hospitality in all of those passages from the New Testament. Uh, is literally phylloxenia. Philo Uh, philo is Greek, uh, means love. Xenos, or xenon, uh, means stranger. Uh, We have an opposite word of that in our English, xenophobia. Xeno, stranger, phobia, fear of the stranger. And hospitality is literally not xenophobia, but if you like, xenophilia. Love of the stranger. Love of the other. And that's what makes hospitality different from what we uh, sometimes call entertaining. Hospitality is having strangers into your home. Mostly, entertainment is with your friends. In fact, I'd suggest actually that that's uh, one way you can define what a friend is. A friend is someone who, when you invite them into your home, it doesn't threaten the feeling of home by having them there. A friend is someone who doesn't lessen the warmth and safety and refreshment and order of your home. In fact, friends in the home are part of what makes a home homely. Friends augment home. Entertaining friends is not hospitality, it's just having a functional home and life. But hospitality happens... Precisely when you have someone in your home in such a way that it puts at risk the ease and comfort and orderliness of your home. It might be awkward. It might be hard work. The conversation might not flow easily. They might not like the food They might not approve of the style of your home. They might mess it up or make it dirty. You don't know. That's the point. You don't know because you and they are strangers to each other relatively. And opening up your home to people who are strangers, people who represent the possibility that your home becomes at least temporarily hard work, you see, like out there, that is a risk. And that is the essence of hospitality. Now, um, strangers include people at church. Uh, in one sense, you might say that's entertaining. And I, you know, I kind of hope, actually, that we do have friends amongst us. All of us, to, to you know, greater or lesser extent, have friends here. Um, but it's also pretty true to say that there are some pretty strange people here as well. I'm, I'm, looking, I'm not looking at anyone in particular right now. <laughs> we all come from different backgrounds, different cultures, different nationalities, different political persuasions, different viewpoints, different standards, different styles. And hospitality is all about the attitude and actions that open yourself up to the different But it's, of course, much more even than us here. It gets beyond us here. It's a stance of welcoming the stranger who's outside the Christian community as well. Notice that uh, I'd suggest that uh, hospitality is this sort of tricky balance of without expectation but with possibility. Without expectation, that is without demand, and there's all sorts of interesting things in the literature on hospitality. There's quite a subsizable literature on uh, this virtue of hospitality, of, of the, the degree to which it's right to express, uh, expect appreciation and gratitude or not. And I'm saying, no, I think hospitality is mostly done, is best done, when it's without expectation, but with possibility. When you bring strangers, that is when you bring non-friends into your home, into your space, opening your heart and hearth to them, then part of what makes it hospitable is that you're open to the fact that they might become friends too. It has that possibility inherent in it. But it's risky, isn't it? It's risky. Uh, And so that leads to the second point, the problems with hospitality. See, there are all sorts of things that get in the way Uh, Of welcoming strangers into our homes at the surface level there's just the sheer busyness of life and the tiredness that comes with it uh, so that it's easier to have toast and Vegemite for dinner and flop down in front of the latest Netflix program you're binging on Uh, mind you that just assumes that if you invite someone over they wouldn't want to share toast and Vegemite with you we'll get to that in just a moment uh, this problem is that you're so drained by the world out there that you feel of yourself that you have nothing left to give when you're in here. And I suspect that that's true for all of us from time to time, actually. There are seasons of this kind of depletion that take place, although what's interesting about that is that it, it requires a kind of inverse hospitality, that is, the openness to others which says, I need you. Actually, right now, I need you. And we are, in our individualism, as averse to saying, I need you, as we are to saying, welcome. At the same time, if it is the case that you're never not exhausted to the point of incapacity, then there are some pretty big changes that might be needed, aren't there? Although I suspect it's actually less true than we might think. I mean, we all know what it's like to be tired and we all know what it's like to be busy, perhaps. But almost every one of us has energy for some things. It's just not the case that we do nothing but flop. And the question is just a one of priority in the end. Is opening yourself and your home up going to be one of those things? Slightly deeper is uh, the whole question of being house proud. You know this phrase? Some people, I think it's quite a good phrase actually. House proud. Uh, I can't have people over when the house is such a mess. Or we're a turbulent family with our ups and downs. What would people think if they saw us? Or, and this is my go-to thought, I can't cook to save my life, and in fact, I might possibly cost someone theirs if they eat what I prepare. (laughs) Now, this sort of house-proud thing is not often said. Uh, I think it's more thought and felt in a non-articulated way, and it's surprisingly stubborn. I have friends overseas that I stay with regularly, and every single time I make contact with them to ask if I can stay there, they say to me, Of course, the house is chaos, and it's very messy, and the kids are just everywhere, and blah, 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 as if I hadn't picked that up from the last 15 times that I'd been there. And they're really long-term close friends with whom we've had significant ups as well as significant downs. And they're still house proud about it. Now, just recently, another friend rang up on a free Saturday night and asked if we wanted to hang out. Uh, which sounded like an invitation to come over to their place, except they said that it couldn't be their place because the house was too messy and they couldn't be bothered asking the kids to tidy up, so it turned out that they invited themselves over to our place, which wasn't, I don't think, a whole lot less messy. Um, it's an interesting little phenomenon to try and step back from and reflect on, this, this house-proud thing. Um, on the one hand, uh, one author I read this week gave a fairly bracing comment. Uh, ready, you've got to you know, take this on board you know, with a, maybe a grain of salt if you need to. He said, either lower your standards or lift your game. Which I thought was a pretty interesting comment, actually. Uh, if lifting your game is, is kind of too much of a challenge, well, and, you know, maybe it is, then standards are just an internal decision, aren't they? either lower your standards or lift your game and the author went on, but for goodness sake, don't let pride get in the way of what is a core Christian calling. And suddenly that puts it into a different sort of context, that's, that's kind of an interesting uh, thing to note, isn't it? Being house proud is still just being proud, actually. And, and and if this hospitality thing really is as central as the New Testament makes it, if it's not just the the sort of thing you do when you've got space, it's it's fundamental, then why would I let pride get in the way of a core Christian calling? On the other hand, there's perhaps a deeper issue going on here, which is the worry that we have about appearances and the need we have to project a particular image which may be more or less different from the unvarnished truth. And here the issue is the fact that hospitality is revelatory. Hospitality reveals. When you invite people into your homes, into your home and life, they'll see what's really there. And sometimes we don't want that. That's actually a much more substantial pride going on there. And there is a correspondence between a commitment to living in the truth, even the ugly truth about me, and hospitality. But perhaps uh, the deepest problem with hospitality in a Christian context is the fact that our community is profoundly unnatural. Very, very important to see this, that Christian community is unnatural. Natural community is grounded in common interest. Natural community is grounded in similar experience and affinity. It's the friendship group. I can say this to this group, but no other congregation will know what I'm talking about here when I say the epitome of this kind of natural community is Seinfeld. Four buddies who just hang out with each other all the time and are completely scathingly cynical about everyone else. And their cynicism towards the rest of the world just reinforces their little sense of community with each other. Actually, I got to the point where I couldn't watch Seinfeld anymore uh, because I found it so repulsive. It's such a perverted, a broken, uh, seemingly attractive, but actually deeply, deeply inhospitable form of community. Natural community, the friendship group, is where people share the same outlook, the same history, the same values and roughly the same perspective on life. And actually, natural community is a good gift from God. It's just got very little to do with what church is. Church is an unnatural community. People thrown together by Jesus Christ precisely across all the boundaries. All the dividing walls between rich and poor, formally and informally schooled, nerds and cool people, Jew, and Greek, and slave, and free, and male, and female. What binds us together might be strengthened by affinity, perhaps, although even that's dangerous because that can become the primary thing and then we've lost our foundation altogether. And you can see churches where what unites them is just natural affinity with one another. The problem with hospitality is that we find natural community hard enough in our world, given our individualism. But it will take serious intentionality, won't it, to live in this unnatural community well, which is the body of Christ. And so where do we get the resources for doing that? Thirdly, the power of hospitality. Uh, The teaching of Jesus in Matthew 25 that we uh, heard read has always stood right at the very heart of the Christian tradition of hospitality. Uh, The details are very intriguing. Um, who, Who are these people and what is he saying? How does that work? And so on and so on. The details are intriguing. But the main point of it is actually crystal clear, and Jesus does a remarkable thing in that saying. In as much as you did these things for the least of my brethren, you did them to me. In as much as you failed to do these things to the least of my brethren, you failed to do them to me. Jesus says that this exercising of welcome, and not just welcome, because that that sounds like a passive thing, but of course in Matthew 25, it's immensely active, this Failure of hospitality is never done anything other than to him and never omitted other than to him. If you do it, you do it to him. If you fail to do it, you fail to do it to him. And the transforming power of that is incredible. When, When the one who is the object of our hospitality is actually Jesus himself, this Jesus who was given by the Father so that we could be welcomed into his home all the way into his family. This Jesus who left the most comfortable home ever, the glory of the Father in eternal, infinite love, safety in perfection, and went to the place where even though foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And then he went to the place of the skull, the cross, forsaken by the Father so that we would be welcomed in the forgiveness of our sins. That Jesus is the ultimate sacrificial host. In fact, I mean, you could really go to town on this and say, He's not just the host, He's the meal Himself. I am the bread of life. He gave everything so that we can be at home in him. And this is not supposed to kind of make us feel guilty or any such nonsense. You know, he did so much for you. Why can't you do more for him? No, that's not the point. No, it's the opposite of that. Rather, as his grace more and more tunes our hearts, as his grace more and more fills our souls, as his grace more and more colours our horizon and shapes our vision. So there wells in us uh, one of these life stances that I mentioned beforehand, a life stance of gratitude, of deep reflex thankfulness as the primary stance of your life of thankfulness and what happens when thankfulness from the abundance of grace you have in Jesus dominates you and fills you then the problems with hospitality just recede more and more into triviality I'm tired, but I can do it. The house is a mess, but really? Am I going to let that stop me welcoming Jesus? They're different. They're a little bit weird. But that's okay. Because I'm safe at home with the Father. In fact, I can, I, can, I can put this a little more sharply and we see this in the New Testament in a kind of terrifying case example. You see, it's always true that the God we worship will shape the lives we live precisely because we're made in the image of God. And what that means is as you turn it around the other way, you can know the character of the God you actually worship by the character of the life you actually live. You see that, right? Right. You can tell the character of the God that you actually worship by the character of the life you actually live. And the Pharisees stand as a kind of um, case study in pseudo-hospitality. They grumbled endlessly when Jesus opened his arms to tax collectors and sinners that can't be right because that's not what God is like because God is a law-requiring finger-wagger. So the Pharisees were very law-enthusiastic finger-waggers. Whereas Jesus enacted an utterly gracious hospitality since he knew the Father's heart in boundless grace and mercy and opened his arms as the ultimate host on that cross, the purest moment of hospitality. In the history of the world, the grace of the hospitable God. Miroslav Wolf, uh, an academic, a theologian, put it like this He said, Inscribed on the very heart of God's grace is the rule that we can be its recipients only if we do not resist being made into its agents. That is a very, very profound insight. I want to suggest that you kind of mull on that and let that ruminate around in your mind and heart. Inscribed on the very heart of God's grace, this is the way grace works. You can only be its recipient if you do not resist being made into its agent. If you close yourself off from being its agent, then you've actually closed yourself off from it altogether. What happens to us must, that should say, be done by us. And having been embraced by God, the hospitable God, we must make space for others and invite them in, even, even our enemies. It's only grace, the grace of that hospitable God that will transform us into truly hospitable people. All right, let's, uh, let's uh, close. Uh, hospitality, I'm suggesting, is one of the litmus tests of a healthy community. It's not some optional extra, it's not the cream on the cake, It's not the extra bit you do when everything's ordered. When everything's done and under control, then. No, no, no. It's right at the very beginning. And for the simple reason, actually, community is all about letting people in. That's what community is, isn't it? Community is about breaking down the barriers, making them porous so that we're connected to each other. Community is all about letting people in, namely to your heart, not hardening your heart towards others, but letting them in so that you weep when they weep and you rejoice when they rejoice, that you feel with and for them. And one proxy for that is the way that you let them into your home. And so I want to kind of give you some challenges, some questions for how you might move into this hospitable community a little bit more. You um, see so you've got a name tags on. So it starts just by actually knowing each other's names. That's going to help, isn't it? That's going to help. Um, inviting people, or what is sometimes even more difficult, accepting invitations. Uh, ought to be something that we just do reflexively. It's just so ceaseless in our environment uh, that we find it very simple, very common, very matter-of-fact to invite and to be invited, to hope for a yes and to give a yes. Um, can I say, a crucial part of our life, the way we try and be a community of I don't know, 130 or 40 people with all the kids added in and so on, uh, is in small groups, our fellowship groups. Um, be- because it's difficult to be uh, deeply connected with 140 other people, we-, we break it down a little bit. And that's a place where uh, people get into your lives, your life. Where your story is linked with their story and with the gospel story. Um, Can I make another comment about uh, what it is to live in a deep, thick community which has more people than you can know very well, which is you'll get communications that are not always personal. Uh, They're called emails uh, or texts. And that we try and make them sound personal. And uh, you know, I'm going to say this gently. Would you please answer the emails that you get? Uh, enough. <laughs> it's a really interesting thing. Uh, I, I've got, you know, my, like you, I've got 28 different email addresses and boxes and all this sort of stuff, and it's hard to keep it all under control and so on and so on. To make a community our size work just requires that we all step up in our intentionality about responding to group communication. It really is just as simple as that. You don't respond guess what the thickness of our community across the board will just turn to gruel please just respond to the emails Um, and uh, I tell you, what's often a very interesting uh, first step in the life of community. Uh, at one level, it feels it feels quite trivial. Uh, on the other hand, it can be very significant, which is to get on the rosters. Uh, our Sunday rosters, at at one level, are just you know you you very small thing. You turn up, you fold, you don't even fold the leaflets now. The the printer folds them, right? So there's even less to do. You you put one brochure like an into a into a leaflet. It, it, it's not rocket science, and then you hand it out with a smile. But the step of getting onto the rosters where what you say is, you know what, I'm in. I'm in, and I'm contributing, and this contribution is, it maybe it's small, but it's real for me, especially if you've come from a context where you've been hurt by the contribution that you've sought to make, and others have taken it for granted, or something like that, that moment can be a really significant moment. And so can I just encourage you that if you're not on the rosters, that you just go, you know what? I'm in, I want to contribute to this community and just fill in a communication card. That's why we had that little black box at the door. So anytime you want to step into something that is available there for you to do. And here's something really radical uh, you might try. Pray that God would bring a genuine Somewhat intimidating, scary, different person into your path. All right, this is for the this is for the really the, the advanced class. Right, pray that God would bring a genuinely somewhat intimidating, maybe even scary person into your life, and that you would have the insight and the courage and the grace of God at, such, at work in your life in such a way that you would open yourself and your home up to him or her, rather than look away. Because Christ opened himself up to us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, fill us, we pray, with your grace. Uh, That grace that took specific form of a welcome and embrace.